Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, uh, here's what I want to do this morning. If you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to 1 Samuel chapter 10. And I'm going to talk about something I don't think I've ever talked about before. And actually, I'm going to do this for a few weeks. Uh, This is a passage that I've been reading just myself devotionally. I'm reading the Old Testament again a little bit. And this is something that I have had in my head and heart for about eight weeks. And I feel like God has been talking to me a little bit personally. And I think it's for us. And so I want to take a few weeks and I want to talk to you about prophetic community. Now, as soon as I say that, that sets off all kinds of ideas. And I mostly want to undermine most of those ideas. So I just want to tell you that right up front. But I want to talk to you about prophetic community for a few weeks. And there's a passage here in 1 Samuel chapter 10 that's really awesome. And it's a picture of what we could be and actually what I think we're called to be as like a church community. And it's kind of a sideways picture. And we'll look at that here in a moment. But before we look at the scripture, I I just want to ask you a question and uh, feel free to answer. Uh, Here's the question. Uh, How many of us in the room are dancers? Like, and, and not just like by profession, but like if you were to show up at an event where there is dancing, you get excited and you're out there. So how many, how many people here are dancers? You're like, yeah, I'm a dancer. Yeah, I'm in, you know? Yeah. Okay, now, 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 let's go the other way. Uh, how, many, how many of us in the room know that we're not dancers? It's not even that we're not good at it, but it's like, I don't even want to go out there. It's most of the room. Okay. Most of the room identifies as not dancer. Okay, now let me ask you another question. How many of you non-dancers ever went to an event where the dancers were dancing and there was something about that event that was so all-encompassing or there was like an invitation in the room, whether someone invited you or not, but there's like a general invitation in the room that was so overwhelming that even the non-dancers began to dance. Anybody ever had that experience? Yeah, okay, so I'll, I'll just tell you a story. I'm not a dancer. That is probably not shocking to most people, but that's not, that's not who I am. I'm not, I'm not given to dancing. I don't dance at home. I don't do any of those fun, like, dad things with the kids when they, you know, hey, let's have a dance party. Not, not with me, you know. It's, we do other things. We do, like, the kids and I, we do other things. But I'm not a dancer. But many years ago, and a few people in this room were there, many, many years ago, our dear friend, shout out Luke Beeling. How many of you were at Luke's wedding? Maybe, Glenn, maybe top 10 wedding? Easily. Luke Beeling, dear, dear brother, for many years here, Luke's from South Africa. And if you know any South Africans, you know what I'm talking about. But with Luke, it's more. <laughs> These are not domesticated people. There's something still wild in them. And Luke got married way up north. We had to drive hours. And we finally got there. And it wasn't even a big wedding. It was maybe 100 people in this little art gallery. And 
when the dancers started to dance, all I can say is that the party exploded. And I looked up and I'm suddenly, I'm there. I'm in. I'm in. And we didn't dance for an hour. We danced for hours. We, 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 we blew that place apart. I don't, I don't know. I don't remember when we went to bed, but I do remember waking up. And when I woke up the next morning, when I woke up the next morning, my legs and especially my calves have never hurt the way they hurt. And they hurt for a week. And I'm not an unfit person. I was hurting. I was literally in, in physical pain for a week because of what had happened that night. It was like this, it was just this collision of joy and celebration that had to be embodied. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and what was really great about it is it wasn't just for the dancers, but it was the people who don't. They got drawn into something. And pretty soon those that don't were those that do. I want to read you a passage and just have that frame in your mind while we read this passage. It's out of 1 Samuel chapter 10. Tech team is all over it this morning. Thank you, Eli. As Saul turned and started to leave, he's leaving Samuel. We'll, we'll fill that in here in a minute. God gave him a new heart. And all Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. And when Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, they saw a group of prophets coming toward them. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he began to prophesy too. When those who knew Saul heard about it, they exclaimed, What? Is even Saul a prophet? How did the son of Kish become a prophet? And one of those standing there said, Can anyone become a prophet, no matter who his father is? Underline that. Yeah, like in God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, it's not your natural lineage that matters. It's your heavenly father that matters. You know, it's like who you are to God. That is what matters. And that's what's being given to us in this scripture. Can anyone become a prophet no matter who his father is? So that the origin of the saying is even Saul a prophet. When Saul had finished, finished prophesying, he went up to the place of worship where have you been? Saul's uncle asked him and his servant. We were looking for the donkeys, Saul replied, but we couldn't find them. So we went to Samuel to ask him where they were. Oh, and what did he say? His uncle asked. He told us the donkeys had already been found. And Saul replied, but Saul didn't tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingdom. I love this passage. I love this passage because it's a picture of what we might call prophetic community. But it's also a picture of what we started with this morning. It's a picture of what can happen when the non-dancers, when they encounter the dancers. It's a picture of what can happen when those that aren't meet those that are. It's a picture of what can happen when those that don't meet those that do. Now, when we talk about prophetic community, one of the things that I feel like we need to start, start with maybe right up front is this. I need to talk to you just for a second about what we're not talking about. Because when we talk about prophetic community, that just sets off all kinds of ideas in the room. Uh, here's a few things we're not talking about. We're not talking about being fortune tellers at all. Uh, we're also not talking about being future tellers. Most of what it means to be a prophetic person or a prophetic community has nothing to do with telling the future. Now let's get even a little more specific. This is also not what we're talking about. 
We're not talking about connecting current events together in ways that make others feel like we're the ones who know what's secretly going on. So much of what's considered prophetic is garbage because it's just like, it's Gnostic secret language. Uh, The kingdom of heaven has no secrets. The kingdom of heaven is the proclamation of what already is. It's the good news. The kingdom of heaven is not about keeping secrets. The kingdom of heaven is about letting out what God has already been declaring. So this is not like, this is not about like reading the New York Times and watching news and going, Oh, these are the events and putting them together in some conspiratorial manner that makes everyone feel like we're the insiders and everyone else is the outsiders. That's not it. In fact, that's actually the opposite of it. That's the opposite of it. So it's not about fortune telling. It's not about future telling. And it's not about a conspiratorial lens that we look at the world through. It's not it. What are we talking about? Well, a few things here. We're, we're talking about developing what a man called Walter Brueggemann, what he calls the prophetic imagination. In fact, he has a book called The Prophetic Imagination. And if you want to go on Amazon right now and order it, you can. It's a little scholarly, but it's only 100 pages and it's desperately good. Desperately good. You'll never read the Old Testament the same once you encounter these 100 pages. Walter Brueggemann, The Prophetic Imagination. You need to read that book, but I want to put a quote up from Walter Brueggemann, and this will give us a little frame for what it means to be a prophetic community. This is what Walter Brueggemann says. He says, the task of prophetic ministry is to nurture, nourish, and evoke a consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. Thus, I suggest that prophetic ministry has to do not primarily with addressing specific public crises, but with addressing in season and out of season the dominant crisis that is enduring and resilient of having our alternative vocation co-opted and domesticated. What is he talking about here? He's talking about our vocation as the people of God to be the people of God. He's talking about our vocation to live in the story of what Jesus calls the kingdom of God. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that the dominant cultures held up by uh, the news organizations, the dominant cultures held up by uh, what we might call the classic American dream, the dominant cultures that we all live in, all of those things want to conspire to neuter us of our vocation to be the people of God, to conscript us into something else, and, and maybe even conscript us in a way that makes us think we're actually doing it when we're not. He's saying to be a prophetic community is to be a people who are living an alternative story. That's really, really what it means. Our vocation to be the people of God, to be an outpost of God's kingdom. Another way to say it would be this, to be a people of God who anticipate the future. What does that mean? Uh, To anticipate the future uh, when God's kingdom, when his rule and reign breaks in and finally sets the world right. I've told you a few weeks ago that like this story isn't over. It has started, but it isn't over. And God is up to something. And one day, everything that is wrong in the world is going to be made right. One day, everything that is upside down is going to be turned back right side up. Everything that's broken is going to be healed. Everything that's fractured is going to be mended. And what it means to be the people of God is to go ahead and live in that future. Go ahead and live in that future. Go ahead and live in, inside of mercy. Like, go, go ahead and live inside of forgiveness. 
What does it mean to be a prophetic community? It means uh, be a forgiving community. Why? Because in the end, God's going to forgive the world. Like, what does it mean? What does it mean to be a prophetic community? Go ahead and live inside of mercy because in the end, the merciful one is going to have the final word. The final word will be mercy. Go ahead and live in it. What does it mean to be a prophetic community? It doesn't mean like uh, tell the world that if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, X, Y, Z is going to happen. That's mostly garbage. Go ahead and anticipate mercy and forgiveness. Go ahead and anticipate a world where Jesus is the king and where the, where the compassionate one who was crucified and has come back to life, where that one who is in control already, where that one is ruling and reigning, go ahead and live into, into his kingdom. Go ahead and live in, into that world. That's what it means to be a prophetic community. And if we do that as the people of God, here's what I see in 1 Samuel chapter 10. If we become those that are, those that aren't, if they encounter us, they will become those that are. This is the influence that God wants to exert in the world. Be a people of welcome and hospitality, especially to those who are different. That's what it means to anticipate the future. Why? Because God is a hospitable God. Like, like Jesus shows up all of these places. One of my favorite stories, I preached about it a few nights ago in Ohio. John chapter 12, Mary and Martha, they, they give a dinner in Jesus's honor. Y'all know this story, right? Because he's raised Lazarus up in John chapter 11. So they give him a dinner. They're just good church people. That's what you do. <laughs> You'd do it too if some, your brother got back up, right? Like you, you'd do that. You'd make him meatloaf. But one of the things we see over and over in the Gospels is even when Jesus is being, the, even when Jesus is being hosted, by the end of the story, Jesus will be the host. Like, like go ahead and anticipate the future where God is the host, where he's extending welcome. Uh, uh, David says, David says in the Psalms, you prepare, you prepare a table before me. Who? That God prepare. Why is God preparing tables? Because he's a host. Uh, in Revelation chapter 19, there's a wedding supper of the lamb. I think that's, I think that's the, the table that David saw. Why? Because God's a host. What does it mean to live into the future? What does it mean to be an alternative society? What does it mean to be an alternative community? What does it mean to be a prophetic community? It means to live in the future. Go ahead and be hospitable. Prepare a table for for people. And not just people who are like us, but maybe for people who are different than us. Like make a space. And you're thinking, are you talking metaphorically? No, no. Like a real table. Like like for your neighbors. (laughs) On your street. In your neighborhood. You're thinking, it's that simple? Yeah, it really is. Most people are closer to, they're, they're, most people are, st- are stuffed away in, in, in little, little houses all over and they don't ever know their neighbors. Like God knows his neighbors. This is what it means to anticipate the future. Uh, to be a foreshadowing of a future where every tribe and language and people and nation have become a kingdom of priests for our God. That's Revelation chapter five. Uh, to, up, to upend the, the idea that might is right. What does it mean to be a prophetic community? Uh, we, to be a people who upend the notion that the, to be strong, that's, that's what matters. To upend the notion that, that up and to the right is what matters. In God's kingdom, oftentimes up and to the right will take you right out of his kingdom. Oftentimes, oftentimes modern notions of strength are the opposite of who Jesus is. Might is, is rarely right in God's kingdom. Uh, Jesus is not the one who exerts force and coercion over people. Jesus is the one who lays his life down. It's the exact opposite. 
This is what it means to anticipate the future. Uh, to upend the notion that kingdom power is the same thing as worldly popularity or political influence. Those are really pro- profound stories that, that operate in our culture right now. Uh, this culture that we live in, American culture, wants you to think that kingdom power is the same thing as worldly popularity. Be influential. Whatever, grow a platform. That's what matters. Or, or even this idea, gain political influence. Like what the world needs in order for it to come under God's like, rule and reign is it, it needs Christians to have political control and to exert a particular political ideology upon everyone else. And here's what I want you to know. That's a false narrative. Uh, that's what Walter Brueggemann talks about in that quote when he says, co-opted and domesticated are from our true vocation. How? That's exactly it. To begin to become convinced that we need worldly popularity or political influence to be the people of God. That ain't it. In fact, we've been called to be something else. Let me ask you a question. How many people in the room have ever longed? How many people in the room have ever longed for something else? How many of you have ever lived in in your life and you, you had an ache in your heart and you couldn't even name it? All you could say was it was for something else. Have you ever thought there has to be more? Have you ever said the question, maybe in prayer, God, there has to be more? Have you ever prayed that? Uh, I'm not talking about escapism, and I'm not talking about garden variety wanderlust either. I'm talking about an ache for the church to be, as Jesus says, uh, an ache for the church to be a city on a hill. Has anybody ever had that ache in their heart? To be a city on a hill. Uh, That ache, here's what I want to tell you this morning. That ache is a breadcrumb that can lead us somewhere. Like don't, don't ignore that ache. That ache is really, really important. Uh, Pay attention to that that ache and go with it. So long as we don't allow ourselves to be co-opted and domesticated by the prevailing cultural winds, we have a shot at being the people of God. Now I want to say a couple things about 1 Samuel. I wanted to lean into this passage this morning because it's an example in high relief of the power of community. And in this case, a prophetic community. Saul's been out looking for his father's donkeys. You have to go back and read 1 Samuel chapter 9. It's pretty good, by the way. The whole book of 1 Samuel is really good. Saul kind of shows up out of nowhere, but he's out looking for his daddy's donkeys. And he's doing that because his dad sends him out. Like somehow the donkeys got out. We don't know. Uh, anybody in here ever had cattle or horses? If you have cattle or horses, one of the things that will eventually happen is uh, the fence will be down and they'll be on your neighbor's front yard. But in this case, they ran past the neighbor's front yard and no one knew where they were. So Saul, being the eldest, took a servant and went off on his daddy's mule looking for the donkeys. And he, this is what's great about this story. He never did find them. I have more thoughts on that. Uh, it would be real good for us to consider uh, what is it that Saul's really looking for, right? And on this search for donkeys that he never finds, um, he's about to give up and his servant says to him, you know, there's this prophet guy named Samuel. I've heard about him. We should go talk to him. And so they do go talk to him. And when they go talk to him, Samuel invites him to a dinner. And at the dinner, Samuel anoints Saul to be king over Israel. Now, I think this is one of the most hilarious stories in the whole Bible. How many of you know that you don't become king by looking for lost donkeys? 
It's like, what kind of story are we reading right now? It's it's an amazing story. That's not how anyone ever becomes king, except it is in God's kingdom. Uh, There's a story in there. Uh, it's, It's the Bible way of saying that you don't get anointed with ambition. It's not how you get anointed in God's kingdom. You don't get anointed by wanting to be king. You don't, you don't get more by wanting to have power. You don't get the sword by wanting to have the sword. You don't get the authority by wanting to have the authority. It finds you when you think you're looking for something else, right? And in that moment, he gets anointed. And after he gets anointed to be king, this has to be utterly confusing to him. Samuel tells him a couple things. He says, He says, number one, uh, don't worry about the donkeys. They've already been found. And he tells him, number two, you're going to meet some guys with some food. They're going to give you some bread. Take it. And then number three, he tells him, "Uh, you're also going to meet some singing prophets on your way home. And in that moment, God will give you his spirit. And here's what I love about this story. Everything that Samuel says is what happens. He meets the people with food. He takes the bread. He meets the singing prophets. And of course, the spirit of God comes on him in that moment. But here's what's interesting about that story. Even though Samuel gives him these prophetic words, and even though Samuel pours out the oil of kingship on his head, it wasn't, it wasn't in the moment of one-on-one that Saul's heart is changed and he receives the spirit. It's only in the presence of community that he's changed. It's only in the presence of of the singing prophets that Saul becomes one with a changed heart, receives the spirit of God and becomes one who prophesies. It wasn't in the presence of the mighty prophet Samuel. It's in the community. I want to say just a couple things here. There's power in community. One of the things we see in this passage is the profound gravity of a particular kind of community. What I love about this passage is something gets on Saul that was in the community. And here's what I love about it. There's no training. There's no conference. There's no book. There's no YouTube video. No sermon of the week. No list of steps. Nope. Saul walks into a community and what is on them got on him. In the vineyard, we would say it was caught rather than taught. And in this case, it was more about being anointed with the spirit of God than a prophetic utterance. But what I love about this is how there's a community springboard in this picture. I think this is something God wants us to begin to think about for ourselves. Like, what kind of community are we? What kind of community are we? Uh, here's, a, here's the thing that I think God has been saying to me. Before we can ever change a community, we have to be changed by community. Some of us have this idea that I'm going to go out and change the world. No, no, that really will never, no. You have to be a part of a, a community where you're changed before you ever change anything else. There's, there's more gravity in a group and we need to be taken in it. What we're a part of matters more than what we offer. Communities carry things that shape us. Uh, one of the things that communities do is they amplify. 
Like whatever's like resonant, they, a community amplifies it. Uh, communities are exponential, which, why is, which is why it's important that we consider the sort of community that we are and the kind that we're becoming. Uh, what we are is what we will multiply. What we are is what we will multiply. The things that we carry will be the things that we pass along. Uh, the things that we carry will be the things that we pass along. And that's true whether we can name them or not. Like there's some things here at the vineyard that I know we can name that we carry, but there's also stuff here at the vineyard that we carry that I, that I can't currently name. Some of that is probably very good. And some of it is probably things that we don't want to pass along and we need to be able to name it good and bad. Like what is it that we carry good and bad because we will pass it along just like those prophets to Saul. We are passing it along. So this is an invitation, I think, from God to consider again, what kind of community are we and what kind of community do we want to be? Because that's what we will offer our city. Now, why am I talking about this now? I'm talking about this now because uh, we've had about 17 months where everything has been disrupted and our church family has been turned upside down. And, and we're just now getting back to being something again. And here's what's really interesting about this. Uh, in this room right now, uh, I only know about half of you. And that's great. To the ones I don't know, you are so welcome here. And we're really, really happy to have you. But a lot has changed. And this is a moment. This is another formational moment. And, and when there's a, a big group of new people here with us, uh, this is a formational space. And we have to ask again, what kind of community are we and what kind of community do we want to be? Because who we are as we're together is what we will pass along. Good, bad, in, in between, it is what we will pass along. And I believe there's an invitation from God for us to be a prophetic community that passes on the Spirit. Amen. Not conspiracies, not weird books, not blood moons, none of that stuff. <laughs> Whatever that wacky stuff is, but a community that passes on the Spirit of God. You know, a community, like, like Paul even says this, like first Samuel chapter 10, that's the old Testament way of saying what Paul says in, in first Corinthians chapter 14. Y'all know that weird passage in first Corinthians where Paul talks about tongues and prophecy. And he says, when you get together, I'd kind of wish y'all wouldn't even speak in tongues. I mean, it's fine. It edifies you. But what does he say in first Corinthians chapter 14? I'd rather that you what? Prophesy. Why? It builds up the church. And Paul says this weird thing at the end of chapter 14. He says, if an unbeliever came in among you and everyone was prophesying, what would happen? They would be convicted of their sin and they would, they would declare with their mouths, surely God is among you. That's just the New Testament way of saying 1 Samuel chapter 10. Like who we are really, really matters. God wants to give the spirit. God wants to give the spirit. I think that's the invitation for us to be a community of the spirit, to be a prophetic community, a community that's living in the alternative society that Jesus calls the kingdom of God. I just want to tell you, I, my, my prayer, my dream is that the vineyard would become more peculiar. <laughs> and by the way, peculiar is not the same thing as weird. Those are two different words. They're close, but they're not the same. I'm fine with weird. I would rather that we would become peculiar. I would, I would rather that we would be marked by the spirit of God. My, my dream, my dream, 
Like we are like doing, it feels like we're, we're kicking off another season of the church. It just feels like, I don't know, there's just, it's just another time right now. My dream is that we would be the alternative society that Jesus calls the kingdom of God. I, I, that is the dream of my heart. I am so uninterested, and you guys know this, but I just want to underline it so it's so clear. I am so uninterested in being captured, as Walter Brueggemann would say, I am so uninterested in being co-opted and domesticated. I want to be the people of God, you know? I, I, I do not identify with Democrat or Republican. I do, not dem- I do not identify with all of these boxes that society wants us to put us in. And they want to do that to neuter us. You know, the more they can make us a thing, the more they can make us Southern, the more they can make us Republican, the more they can make us white, the more they can make us Democrat, the more they can make us educated, the more they can make us put any box you want to put in there, right? The more they can make us successful, the more we will be neutered from being the people of God. We need to be the people of God. Like the the alternative society that Jesus calls the kingdom of God, where the first are last and the last are first. Where service is what makes you great. Not how many people follow you on Instagram. Where service is what makes you great. Where where serving the world is what makes you great. Not how you vote. Where serving the least and the lost is what makes you great. That's the political influence of God's kingdom. Like serving the least and lost. Being a community of mercy where anyone could come here. I listened to this podcast this week. Wrecked me wasn't even a Christian podcast. It was an art podcast. It was an art podcast. And I'll tell you a very quick story and then I'll wrap it. It was an art podcast. And the guy who was sharing his story mentioned that he had been, that he had been an addict. And the guy who was, who was the interviewer said, yeah, I, I was an addict too. And, and they shared about eight minutes about recovery. And it was so beautiful because as they were talking, and they're not even Christians, but as they were talking, I, I, heard, I heard the alternative society of Jesus in their words. He's, uh, one of the guys said, oh, the thing I love about AA, the thing I love about recovery is you can go in at the bottom of the barrel and no one will judge you. You are welcomed. And I thought, oh my God, well, how, how amazing would it be to be a part of a church like that? A church where mercy is like a, ch- a church of welcome. This is the alternative community of Jesus. You know, uh, how amazing would it be to be a place where, where your healing, where your healing is 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 shared by other broken people, you know? Yeah, yeah. Where, where there's not someone who's like holding something over you or something, you know? How beautiful would that be? Yeah, it's the alternative society that Jesus calls uh, the kingdom of God. Uh, if somebody asks you to go one mile, to go two. That's less popular, by the way. You know, but that's what Jesus says is the alternative society. Uh, when somebody asks you uh, for a little help to give them a lot of help, that's what Jesus says. And by the way, he's talking about enemies there. 
right? He's telling the Jews, yeah, carry the Roman soldier's stuff, not one mile, carry it two. What? Jesus says that in his alternative society, that his father reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous. I want to be a part of a community that's okay with God sending the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You know? I want to be a part of a community that is living into that. That's the invitation. That's my dream. That's my dream. We're going to talk about that for a few weeks. I, I just, I want to share just a few passages out of scripture with you over the next few weeks about being a prophetic community, an alternative society that Jesus calls the kingdom of heaven. I want to, what if we started anticipating the future? You know, why not go ahead and live into it now? Eternity is not later, it's now. Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 3, Eternal life is to know the son that the father has sent. That's, that's possible today. We could do that today. Glenn, Melissa, band, why don't y'all come up here? We're going to end on that note. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time. <laughs>